Welcome to Dude Exactly, a podcast where each episode starts with a question about music or movies and devolves into a random discussion between longtime friends. That's music professor and composer Brian Cobb. And that's conductor and military musician Domingos Robinson. How you doing, buddy? All right, man. What's going on with you? You know, I'm just excited to hop in once again into the uh, by our estimation, right? The the greatest film scores of all time. Yeah. Yeah, and we this is part two, episode two. The, our first one we did our first five for each of us. And uh, maybe before we jump into the next 10, maybe we just kind of run down real quick the ones that we listed uh, last week, if you want to maybe go first. Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> wasn't necessarily in, in order, which I think is the greatest, but just what I had on there was uh, Max Steiner's King Kong, the uh, Bernard Herrmann score for Psycho, John Williams with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, we have um, Arlen and Stothart, um, Wizard of Oz, the great uh, musical, and then um, the Marinelli score, Atonement. Nice. And then for me, it was uh, Morricone's uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, uh, Maurice Jarre's uh, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Goldsmith, uh, Plan of the Apes, Bernard Herrmann, North by Northwest, and Maestro John Williams' Jaws. Great. So um, let's just hop in if that's if that's cool with you. We have a, a lot to get to. Um, so yeah. I want to ask you, did you end up reconfiguring any of yours after after we talked last? <clears throat> um, so, I mean, a little bit, you know, one of the things, you know, as we as we talked last time was you know, I think for me, I wanted to go a little outside the box in okay. my thinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like a couple of these, you may be like, hey, man, that's not, that's no way in the top 10 of the greatest of all time. But I think for me, it was a combination of or a couple of these. It's almost like, a, you know, taking a swing or, or a chance, mm -hmm. you know, sure. uh, with my last couple you know, to hit a couple different types of films um, that <clears throat> are certainly great film scores. Um, you know, if you, you know, pressed me really hard, you know, is this really one of the top 10 of all time? Maybe I, I'd say, yeah, I don't know. But I like what this person did in, in this context. And I like, and I wanted to make sure that a particular genre was uh, represented. So a couple of mine, uh, I'm sure will, uh, we'll get heated debate from from uh, people listening in, uh, but you know it's kind of part of the reason why I chose a couple of them. So anyway, yeah. so I did end up uh, ditching a couple of mine <clears throat> to swap out, uh, mostly because, like you, I wanted to get in some some different angles. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about those for sure. Um, nice. So, so uh, do you want me to lead off this time? Yeah, go for it, man. Okay. Um, actually, I, I think I let off last time too. But anyways, thank you for giving me a lead off. 
<laughs> so my uh, my first score, I'm going to go back to Ennio Morricone, and um, I'm going to choose probably the film score out of any of these that I would listen to most likely as an album from beginning to end. And that's uh, his score, 1986 for The Mission. Um, and this, this particular, um, choice really is because I love this film score so much, but also I think it's a good example of an, an eclectic score, which at the time I think, um, was, you know, unusual in its, in its, um, approach, um, so what we yeah. have here is not only religious music because of the missionary aspects. So we have um, acapella music, but we also have uh, solo oboe. We also have <clears throat> South American music um, and obviously sort of a, a palette of avant-garde techniques as well. So like with uh, Good, the Bad and the Ugly, you know, he's really redefining himself um, with this film score, I think. And then just in terms of melodies, you know, <clears throat> you're, you're, you're happy when a film score has one great one. This one has several, yeah, um, great melodies. For sure. <clears throat> so yeah. just as a little taste, I want to start off with a clip, um, where, uh, Gabrielle, uh, Jerry, Jeremy Irons, um, Irons character is, is uh made it into the jungle and he's introducing himself um to to the um native south americans and he's doing it by music and this is what we hear one of the main themes so here he's sitting out you can hear the ambient sound of the of the jungle So the the thing I love about this about this scene, this is, you know, at the beginning of the film, is that um, one of the uh, members of the tribe end up snapping his oboe, and then mm. feeling bad about it, you know, because he wants to hear more. He's trying to put it back together, but he just can't do it. Um, yeah. So. You know, in contrast to this, I I also brought along another another um, clip here. Uh, this is from the climax, and music throughout. Right, we hear Spanish guitar as well. Um, so it's very geographical, right? Which is one of the again one of the reasons why I think this should be on the list as just sort of a stellar example. Now, this one is the climax. So you're going to hear a lot of war, but you're going to hear the layering of all these themes that we've heard 
throughout the film and now it's coming to the climax and mm -hmm. we hear just this amazing polyphony so let's check out a little bit of that Yeah, so, hmm. you know, that um, that clip right there, um, to me, is why this should be on the list. You know, you you distribute all these beautiful themes throughout the, the film, very different. Like I said, gathering from different areas of the world, definitely period piece. And then we have, you know, this climax that is one of the great musical climaxes like the um uh close encounters right where it's yeah. just integral so yeah that's yeah. my number one for this part two yeah that i think that's one of the first soundtracks that i i bought on cd i'm pretty sure was the was the mission yeah it's great Think people would know who has just entered the building <laughs> yes yeah. yeah so obviously that was uh you know darth vader making his entrance in um my pick uh my first pick for today which is 1980 uh john williams the empire strikes back um the which best. i think is uh yeah i mean i think it's the the best score of the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the best film of the original trilogy. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th I mean, I would say uh, out of all of them, 
this is the mm -hmm. best. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did some cool musical stuff in, in the prequels actually, mm -hmm. you know, um, but that's maybe for another time. Mm -hmm. um, so this one, you know, the, the, the score was actually written uh, pretty quickly. It was like six weeks. He wrote the music for this wow. and he wrote a crap ton of music. Like yeah. so much that he, that they cut out, um, you know, and I was doing some kind of extra research on, on the filming of it and, and, and the recording of the soundtrack. Um, so many scenes where he, you know, he, he watched the, obviously the, you know, the rough cut and wrote music for it. And then, you know, they tried it out and ended up cutting. So there's, there's a lot of good music that just never made it right. uh, into the film. But, you know, this one is a, you know, it's a darker film, um, you know, which often happens in the second film of a trilogy of a trilogy is, is where the filmmaker, you know, um, tries to do something different. And, and, and Lucas definitely did here um, just to, you know, go, coming from, you know, uh, the, the first film, uh, which ended on a high note and pretty much right away, you, you figure out that this is going to be a, a different kind of film than the first one. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you, you know, the, the rebels are on the run. Um, uh, the empire is, I mean, obviously the empire strikes back. So you already know based on the title that this is going to be different. And um, I think I'll start with talking about, you know, the Vader theme, the one that we just heard, right? So um, it ends up being the most predominant motif. You know, this is a new one, right? So this is the Vader theme is we first hear it in Star Wars in The Empire Strikes Back. That's where it was introduced. Um, so it was not in, the, in, in A New Hope. And um, it's used throughout the film in terms of like, you know, segues and transitions from one scene to another. Um, and we, we hear it, a short clip, a short little motif of it we hear when the probe droids are being sent out in the piccolo. You get like a little, uh, you know, half phrase of it. But mm -hmm. very quickly, um, you get the full, like almost basically the concert version of the of the Imperial March when we see the fleet for the first time. Right. Darth Vader, you know, with his hands behind his back, you know, kind of looking out over the stars and waiting, to, you know, waiting to see where they are, right? Uh, the, the rebels. And so the, that theme, um, you know, it's, it's forceful, it's oppressive. The instruments are all playing like in their low registers and it, and it, it continually descends downward, like the, the melody itself, right? It's, it's yeah. always collapsing on itself. So uh, really, I think a extremely well-crafted theme right. uh, that has become so iconic, right? Right, um, and, and really when you think about, you know, the brilliance of bringing back the light motif, right? Because there was a span hmm. where it fell out of fashion, right? And orchestral yeah. music as well. But, you know, for uh, a film like this, like Lord of the Rings, other films that have an expanse of, of concepts and characters, you know, the, the leitmotif is just so important to keep everything together and to have it feel seamless. And what you're describing is exactly what it does, right? And it even threads mm -hmm. in the prequels, right? 
Oh yeah, I mean it. Yeah. You hear it in the prequels. Uh, you know, um, Anakin's theme. You know, when we first meet Anakin as mm -hmm. a boy, you know, there's shades of of the Vader theme in there, right? And, right. You know, you hear it in the in the sequels. You know, the newest films. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever they talk about Vader, and you see the uh, the crushed helmet of Vader. Um, yeah. You know, you hear the theme, so it kind of it really ties it together. It's almost like a Pavlov's dog, you know, type of reaction yeah, when you correct. hear that theme, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're not going to play the the full uh, version. Um, you know, we heard a little bit, you know, at, at our intro there, and of course, you know, the 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 way we hear it in full force uh, with the fleet at the beginning of the movie is that kind of fast, you know, jump. Jump, chicka, jump, like that. Right. But the the clip I wanted to play first was how Williams is able to use. And he does this with all all of his themes. He speeds them up. He slows them down. He he creates them in a way that he can morph them to what is happening on the screen. And the way he uses the Vader theme here. So this is the the duel between Vader. And Luke toward the end of the film in in, in um, Cloud City, and you know uh, this is when uh, you know Luke is overmatched at this point. You know, and Vader doesn't even bother using his lightsaber; he just uses the Force to fling crap at him. Yeah, and you know he ends up you know op you know crashing a window, and then Luke you know falls out, and you hear in the score, the inevitability, the, um, you know, just, yeah, I think that's probably the best term for it, the inevitability of Vader winning this, uh, this round. And so maybe let's, uh, let's hear it here. You know how slow it is? Yeah. Amazing, you know, just uh, it's just so heavy, and right. you know, where where the first time we hear it, it's a march, right? Mm -hmm. Here, it's it's completely different, right? And it's calculated, right? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's amazing, um, and of course, it becomes you know one of the iconic themes. Uh, I want to touch briefly, just talking about uh, another theme that um, is introduced in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and that's the it's basically um, the opposite of Vader's theme, which is Yoda's theme. Mm. And so Yoda's theme, you know, where Vader's theme is is compressed and always descending downward and in the low register of instruments, Yoda's theme is is uh, is light, it's hopeful, it's ascending, always ascending. It always ends ascending. Mm. Um, to give that kind of lightness and hope. Uh, 
Um, it, and uh, it, what's great is that, um, and again, he uses it throughout and, and even, uh, you know, when someone else is writing the music, you know, obviously uh, Luke's film slash Disney owns the music, so they can use it in their Disney plus shows. Right. So yeah. Uh, in the Mandalorian, when Ahsoka, uh, you know, is talking, talking with Grogu and, you know, finds out his backstory and uh, she tells Mando uh, Jinjarin that, you know, uh, she has known only one other creature like uh, Grogu. She doesn't say his name, but as soon as she says that, you hear Yoda's mm. theme. Yeah. You know, and for anyone who's watched Star Wars films, you, you immediately recognize it and you get a warm fuzzy. You're like, she's yeah. talking about Yoda. You know what I mean? Who, who doesn't love Yoda? Yeah. <laughs> and so I can't imagine, like, it's just a different deal when you add the music like that, you know, that kind of recognition. So just a great use of the theme there, even though that it's it's William's theme, someone else, you know, obviously used it in that context. Right. Because he didn't write the music for Mando. Um, so the other one I want to talk about is Han and Leia's uh, love theme. And what's interesting about this one that I noticed is, so Leia's theme, um, her, her leitmotif uh, begins, opens with a major six. Mm. And the Han and Leia love theme that is introduced here in this film opens with a major six. Hmm. So I interpret that as, you know, that the um, relationship in this context, the relationship is born, it is from her point of view. And so. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, when you listen to it, it, it it's, um, it's pretty obvious that he had that in mind that it was, it was from her point of view and from her motif comes this, this love motif. And um, what I want to play here is uh, the, the first time we see Leia uh, in Empire Strikes Back, um, you know, Han, you know, is talking with the commander there and he's, you know, talking about how, you know, he's, he's got a price on his head. He's got to go and take off so he can pay off Jabba the Hutt. And so, you know, he's getting ready to say goodbye and say goodbye to the princess and stuff. So um, let's, uh, let's play this. Uh... You're a good fighter, Solo. I hate to lose you. Thank you, General. No music. You see Leia. That's Leia's theme. Well, your highness, guess this is it. That's right. Don't get all mushy on me. So long, princess. Still Leia's theme. Han! Yes, Your Highnessness. I thought you had decided to stay. Well, the bounty hunter we ran into when Lord Mendel changed my mind. Han, we need you. We need? Yes. Well, what about you need? I need. I don't know what you're talking about. And now there's the love theme when she says, I need. We need. precisely am I supposed to know? Come on. If she says we need, she really doesn't mean about me. You're a great help to us. You're a natural leader. No, that's not it. Come on. Uh-huh. Come on. You're imagining things. Am I? Then why are you following me? 
Fredo's gonna leave without giving you a goodbye kiss? I just assume he's a woman. I can arrange that. You can use a good kiss. <laughs> yeah, so that, all that, uh, all that last part there, that's all the, lo um, the love theme that's born out of her, uh, her theme. And, um, you know, it's, the other thing that's really interesting here is that uh, the last theme that we hear in the film as you know, you know, so Han Solo is, you know, spoiler alert, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I don't have to tell you if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I know. <laughs> um, you know, he's frozen in carbonite. He's he's gone uh, with, you know, uh, what's his face there? Uh, Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. And, you know, uh, Luke and Leia are all standing there on the bridge, you know, and they're all trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step to get on back? Uh, which is of course the beginning of the Return of the Jedi. And um, the theme that we hear right before end credits is the Han and Leia love theme, not Luke's theme, not the mm -hmm. Force theme, it's Han and Leia's love theme that ends yeah. the, the film. Fantastic, so, yeah. yeah. And it's a great, it's a great, great score. I mean, I didn't even talk about the amazing action set piece you know in the asteroid field or anything like that which is yeah i mean incredible yeah there's you know there's a reason you know this is high up there on on everyone's list right the yeah. whole the whole trilogy really but yeah, yeah i'm with you on empire awesome choice nice so i'm gonna go um in a different direction because one thing that you know i'm after thinking about what we have on the list, it's the inclusion of, of popular styles, at least contemporary styles in the time period. Um, and in particular, using, you know, a drum set, using, you know, an electric bass and, you know, fusing that together. So one of my favorites that I think adds a a cool factor and an intrigue and, and then also it being complex uh, to a film score is Lalo Schifrin's um, 1971 score to Dirty Harry. And yeah. again, we're still in the 70s. Man, there was a <laughs> lot of good film scores written in the 70s. I know. So let me hip you to the opening to this, one of the great openings and you can hear it right away that this is something different. So we have a sniper up on the building. His name's Scorpio. Sort of the, the serial killer. So we're seeing a scope.
we see Dirty Harry coming into the scene. Reminds me of like Shaft, you know what I mean? You know, and it's got it, it's got hints of blues. Obviously, the funk factor, avant-garde. Mm -hmm. It's you know filled with all different types of of timbre, and you know when you hear that opening, right? Nothing's settling in, right? Yeah. Until you see Dirty Harry up on the screen, and then it locks in. And right. but you know, there's a um, there's a vibe to this score that is very much in Dirty Harry, right? Someone playing by their own terms, you know, laid back in a sense, you know, um, but very, very different. And I, I just find this film score to be irresistible. So the second uh, clip I'm gonna play here is uh, something a little different from what we heard at the beginning here. It's more of the, the avant-garde sort of under underlay you'll hear some double basses it's almost like something right out of Ineas Zanakis um, or you know Penderecki's Threnody uh, so let's hear it and again the silence is setting it right just hear footsteps stop Turning on the lights. No, 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 no. Don't do anything more. No, you tried to kill me. No, no, no. no. Help, hurry. Go on out and get some air, fatso. Please, no more! I'm hurt! I Can't you see? I'm hurt! You shot me! Please, don't, don't! Let me have a doctor! Let me, let me have a doctor! Please, give me a doctor! Don't kill me! The girl, where is she? You're trying to kill me! If I tried that, your head would be splattered all over this field. Now, where's the girl? I want my own. I said, where's the girl? I have the right for life! Where's the girl? I, I have the right for life! I have right one I mean, that right there, like, it's such a, I mean, it's filled with anger, right? Yeah, yeah. Because this, I mean, Scorpio is one of the worst villains in film history. I don't know the last time you saw Dirty Harry, but when, yeah, a... when he gets his come up and sits like, I, I want to just run outside and just celebrate. <laughs> yeah. So Lalo yeah, Schiffer, yeah, Lalo Schiffer, obviously an amazing, amazing body of work. Um, also a concert composer, killing, killing jazz um, 
you know, jazz artist as well. Um, mm -hmm. So inventive. I mean, the embodiment of eclectic, right? So my first mm -hmm. two picks here are very much in the eclectic realm, but this mm -hmm. is a different edge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That, that was great for that for that scene, you know, just the, the tension, the, you know, so much going on uh, inwardly yeah. you know, that he's expressing in, in the music. I mean, it's just, it's absolute chaos in a sense, right? It's avant-garde, you get the drums, you get those high strings, and that's mm -hmm. very much a part of his style. Yeah. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> I guess I'm up next. Um, so <laughs> I haven't left the 60s and 70s quite yet. <laughs> I guess I did momentarily with Empire because that's 19. Yeah, okay, right. Right. Uh, my next one is 1972. And that is uh, Nina Rota's The Godfather. Oh, yes. Great so, choice. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this one, uh, you know, he, he wrote majority of it. Uh, there's a little bit of the, of the music that was written actually by Francis Ford Coppola's father. Yeah, Carmine, uh, Car right? Carmine, right? Yeah. But... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so the score, uh, it, it utilized music from other projects, which uh, kept it from being nominated for an Academy Award. Um, but the, the three main themes uh, are so uh, iconic and integral to not only this movie, but to the other two movies, and especially the second one, which... Um, you know, it was made just a couple of years later. Um, really uh, iconic um, to the point where they're basically, you know, almost tropes and, and you yeah. know, com almost comically used at this point in Italian restaurants and, mm. you know, uh, weddings and you, you name it, you know, you hear the music and it, it's almost become uh, comical. Right. But... It's because it's so iconic and so um, connected to um, not only uh, the Italian uh, kind of heritage, but also, you know, mobster movies and stuff. So um, every all the other mobster movies that follow um, have The Godfather to thank, both in terms of the movie, the film itself, but also the score and the way Rota... Um, created the ambiance and the character right um really uh amazing work um so he, and he what's great is that he places us geographically with with the use of instruments you know he uses uh, solo instruments like um uh, mandolin and accordion uh, mm -hmm. to represent the family's sicilian roots yeah and and then like uh more orchestral type voices um you know, when it comes to, you know, portraying like the American side of, of the story. Um, and then like the first note, uh, thing we hear is the solo trumpet, which kind of bridges the two. And that's kind of, you know, Vito Corleone, Mar Marlon Brando's character is kind of that bridge, you know, he's, he's between worlds yeah, of the old sure. world in Sicily and the new world in, in America. And so um, when you hear the trumpet, it really is about Vito, that motif. Um, 
you know, a few other things here, like really great use of uh, of diegetic music, and um, really an incredible um, how much they use, like in the in Connie's wedding. So Mom and Brando's daughter, uh, her wedding, um, uh, you know, to the I think he's an actor, if I remember correctly. Um, long scene with all kinds of music and that and I think that music was the music that was written um some of that was written by Carmine uh, mm. Coppola Interesting. Uh, some of that diegetic music yeah um but it really sets like the it adds depth of character um it adds context it firmly roots them as Italian immigrants um so it really brings a lot to bear in the beginning third of the film uh, really beginning uh, say half hour of the film, actually, you know, to really kind of set, this is who these people are. This is right. who this family is. And family is everything right. to this fan, you know, to these people. Uh, so it really is a, a great use of, of the diegetic there. Uh, the first theme is the, you know, the Godfather waltz that we, we all know um, that opens the film with a solo trumpet. And like I said, it represents Vito and his values of, uh, you know, tradition, family, honor. Um, the second theme is interesting. It's it's the love theme, and it's the theme that we hear when Michael is in Italy and he meets um, Apolliana, uh, who becomes his his first wife. Right. Uh, in Italy, right, um, and. I think, based on the score, his one true love. Mm. Uh, and, and I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, and then the third theme, and the theme that I want to focus on, is Michael's theme, uh, which we first hear in the uh, the hospital scene where he, you know, his father's been, you know, shot, and he's in the hospital, and Michael comes and was to visit, you know, to visit him. And he finds like, you know, that everyone's gone. Like there's no guards, you know, the hospital staff is pretty much right. gone. Like, so, you know, he's being set up to be taken Ambushed. out, yeah. you, know, to fin you know, to finish the job. And so this is where Michael uh, steps up. He's the youngest son, basically. And he steps up or second youngest son to um, his older, his other, actually, no, he is the youngest son. And he, uh, he steps up and saves his father but this is the first time we hear michael's theme so let's uh, take a listen this is you know when he's going around the hospital looking for people and he really starts to become on a mission you can hear it in the drums, you can hear it, and that solo trumpet. And the background is like a dirge. Yeah. Like you're walking to the gallows. Yeah.
to me, there's a lot in this because, you know, Michael was supposed to be the legitimate son. He was going to be a senator. He was going to be a congressman. He's a war hero, World War II war hero. So he wasn't in play to take over the family business. You right. know, that was, you know, that was Khan's uh, character, uh, James Khan's character. Um, he was going to be the, the legitimate son, so to speak, uh, you know, yeah, uh, not be tied to the business. And I think this dirge, like you call it, is Rota commenting on that, that he's, he's begun a path that um, he, he's going down the path of being a mobster. He's not going to be a senator. He's not going to be a president. Right. And, you know, we see that too, you know, when his father is safe and, you know, um, he goes by his bed and he says, Pop, I'm, I'm with you now. I'm with you. And you hear Vito's theme played somberly and you hear and you see Marlon Brando shed a single tear. And I think there's a double meaning there as well. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, he's uh, happy that his son is here to, and has protected him, but he's crushed because right. his son will not, you know, his son's, his hopes for his son are, are dashed. Yeah. You know, because gotcha. he's going to be in the family business, which is not what he wanted for him. So, and the music, uh, I think portrays that really well. The, this other clip I want to play is um, again the we hear Michael's theme. This is when he meets up with Kay. Um, he had gone out with her, and he ended up, you know, killing a cop. He went to Italy. He married Apoliana, and then he comes back. Apoliana gets killed. You know. Again, spoiler alert, his wife gets killed. <laughs> right. um, he comes back to the United States and then he's in the States for about a year. And then he goes, finds Kay, and, and this is uh, what he says. Yeah, because I need you. Because I care for you. Please stop it, Michael. Because I want you to marry me. It's too late. It's too Please. late. Okay. This is Michael's theme playing. I'll do anything you ask, anything to make up for what's happened to us. Because that's important, Kay. Because what's important is that we have each other. That we have a life together. That we have children. Our children. Okay. I need you. And I love you. That's all Michael's theme. Right. That's not the love theme. Right. That's Michael's theme. Right. He needs her, right? Yeah. Because he he's he's all in on this now. So he he needs, you know, this is a Catholic family, Italian mobster family. He needs a wife, uh, children, specifically sons, to take over the family business. I mean, he's he's thinking about legacy and all this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not about his love for Kay. I mean, he may have some kind of affection for her, and I'm sure he does. And I think over time he did. Um, but he didn't. The music is telling us he doesn't love her like he loved that 
that girl that he met in uh, in Italy. And you know, it's kind of like um, you know Wagner used to say that you know actors, the characters may lie, but the music, the orchestra doesn't lie. Right, and that's you know? that's important, right? And that's yeah. what makes film scores so interesting is on on return viewing, right? And even if you don't get it the first time, you know, there is so much care and um, and thought put put into these film scores. You know, it's just not by chance. And you can always tell one that isn't really thought about because you, you know, there isn't that support, right? Yeah. And and you're just describing it beautifully, man. Nice. Cool. Yeah, a gr you know, great classic choice. I, I think um, a, uh, a collection, right? A, a trilogy of films. It's another one where one of the most consistent aspects is the music right mm. and it's and it's a uh, it's a masterpiece because of that um you know i'm talking about the the whole scope not only this film you know like mm. like star wars right and and yeah. light motifs and that connection can be very different depending on you know how you put it together mm. so my next film um i'm gonna go deeper into um Again, I'm, I'm returning to the 1960s here um, with um, Elmer Bernstein's score to To Kill a Mockingbird. Nice. And, you know, the reason I, I chose this one, I could have found other films, I think, to capture not only this idea of, uh, of Americana, but the thing that really connects with me is the innocence and um a film score that we probably you know if you're listening to this have probably heard et has a lot to you know to sort of thank for this film score um mm. because this film to kill a mockingbird as we hear through the music right just as you were saying sort of it gives us a portal into how we hear it is from the the character of scout a young girl of um, the daughter of atticus finch mm -hmm. and it's her perspective that we actually see the world in this film and i'd like to play um two two clips here okay the opening sequence this is one of the great sequences in my mind in in film history um because it's so playful and it starts off with beautiful sound design where we hear a kid playing with just a, a box with all these different objects. So we see the crayons, but we're hearing music through a kid's eyes or through a kid's mouth, right? Then we see the 
the pocket watch. So, just a gorgeous theme. The instrumentation is spot on. Yeah. Right? The flute. Um, we're also hearing, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that's an accordion or a, um, it's, it's some sort of reed instrument that is sort of uh, powered by bellows. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, just very... Um, very precious right and the melody that flows through that is is filled with weight in a way right because of the the center of the of the of the film dealing with you know a wrongly accused and we have you know the um uh, the racial aspect of the of the film and yeah. then you see a kid just living and, you know, playing and drawing, you know, embedded in that. And um, yeah, to me, first time I saw this, it was so powerful and it is just stuck with me. Um, yeah, that's my choice for, I'm not sure if that's my fourth, but um, <laughs> there's one other, you know, I mean, do, sorry, do you have a... No, I mean, it's just, um, you know, just, it's it's so beautiful and and you know he captures the kind of um, that americ americana type sound i think mm -hmm. really really well and like you said it was the, the orchestration is what struck me it's just perfect yeah you know, perfect for that opening to allow all the other sound design to you know to to be at the fore um and then <clears throat> it's only when we're done with that, then does does the orchestra pick it up and and uh, yeah, it's 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 lovely. Yeah, I mean it's it's all about simplicity and silence. I would like to play one more. I, I wasn't going to do this, but I got this clip. Um, and and this is a scene where Scout is asking her dad. You know, um, her mom passed away, and you know she's you know asking about about her mom to her dad and her you know and he leaves the bedroom and then he's just sitting and listening to his two children talk about you know the death of of his wife and their mother um but you can hear it's at night it's a it's a small town and just the fact that it's not so melodramatic right letting sort of the 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 scene really resonate 
and to skirt around that as a film score, you know, I think is just amazing. It's as brilliant as some of the big ones we've heard, right? That are just so intense. So let's hear yeah. that, hear the end of that scene. There's a ring that belonged to your mother and I put them away and they're to be yours. It starts, he sh shuts off the light. You know, there's a way to really destroy how precious that scene is. And even just having, you know, the strings and that sort of Aaron Copeland style, no vibrato, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just almost like, you know, an accordion in the sense where it's just so, so steady, but yet, um, yeah, just totally direct. Yes. And so. it, it allows the, you know, the dialogue to have space, mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, you're talking about, you know, kids in bed, you know, talking softly. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the time to have anything that's going to overpower that you want, you want the, you want it to remain simple so that they can, we can, first we can understand what they're saying, but right. it can be natural sounding. Yeah. And to be low enough, you know, because we never lose sight or lose hearing of the crickets outside. Right. The, yeah, yeah. You know, just amazing. Hmm. Simplicity. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good choice, man. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So my, I have three left and uh, these are three curveballs. I'm going to throw three curveballs in a row. Uh-oh. The first one is uh, by the great Japanese uh, filmmaker Akira Kurosawa yes. and his John Williams, the, <laughs> the great Toro Takamitsu. Uh, favorite, I mean, one of my favorites just as a concert composer as well as a film composer. Great choice. Yeah. yeah, he, you know, I mean, we've talked about Takamitsu over the years and, you know, he's, he's, he's both one of our 
our favorites. He's he's a he's a world class composer. Oh yeah, um, for sure, world class. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's so many good things about this score, but I'll just kind of a couple couple kind of tidbits that I found too when I was doing my research beyond just watching cues. Um, you know, this was like the the passion passion project for Kurosawa. So he he started thinking about this in the 70s. Mm. But this was actually, an, this is actually a 1985 film. And so he secured Takamitsu to write the score in 1976. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And he was originally, the original thought was that it was going to be um, using voice chanting as opposed to an instrumental score. Hmm. That was the original intent. And then over the years, you know, Kurosawa basically basically did a 180. And so when they were actually getting ready to do this thing, Kurosawa told Takamitsu, what I actually want now is I want a full orchestra. I want a, a Mahler type of sound. Yeah. You know, and romantic. Yeah. yeah, a romantic sound, which is, you know, well, what? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> What I think Takamichi does uh, brilliantly is he delivers on the romantic sound when you need the romantic sound. Mm-hmm. Or I think when Kurosawa was envisioning, when he, like, when he said, I want Mahler sound, romantic sound, I think Takamichi gave it to him where Kurosawa was envisioning that. Yeah. But then he also, uh, there's also very distinct Japanese uh, soundscape, you know, that kind of serves as a glue to the film, I think. And you can hear it in the opening, uh, the opening credits. And so I want to play that first because just a little bit of this, you know, that kind of establishes um, the Japanese soundscape. That uh, that diado. That's like the theme of doom. Ah. I think is is what they called it. What what Takamitsu called it, um, and that's that's the theme that permeates, you know, uh, the score. And you know, that's you know part of what we hear. Sumanaro's uh, flute, uh, mm. you know, solo there. Um, you know, we won't play that one, but it's, you know, that's a little piece of it where he, he played that to the aging warlord um, is almost like a twisted tribute, you know, because, right. you know, his parents were killed by the warlord. And then here, years later, you know, this blind kid, uh, young man, the only, he says, the only comfort I have is playing this flute. So I'm going to play it for you, you know, and then he plays <laughs> this haunting solo that basically, you know, uh, 
makes the warlord like go a little nuts because you know all the images of the carnage that he has wrought you know comes back to him so anyway that's that yeah. theme um but the you know the 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 music that um made this score in takamitsu in terms of film music you know uh, legendary is the action sequences the battle sequences um you know takamitsu is able to you know create this pathos this emotional depth that's i think unlike any movie uh, that I can think of, at least like in the battle sequences. And I don't know exactly the sequence of events that led to this, but what you hear when you're, and we'll play, not, you know, um, play a little bit of a battle sequence here. Um, one of the, one of the, I think the kind of the money cue, which oh, is for the, sure. yeah. the, the hell's picture scroll cue. Um, and so, you know, you can look that up on YouTube, Hell's Picture Scroll. Um, incredible cue that we're gonna play a little bit of, but um, you know, he, what you hear is the music almost exclusively. You don't hear a lot of the sounds of the battle. Right. And so Kurosawa really dialed back the, uh, the ambient sound, dialed back the sound of battle, except in a few key, you know, points. Right. Um, but mostly what you, so you're seeing all this carnage, you know, people dying left and right, big battle scene, you know. Blood everywhere. Blood everywhere, like in, in a typical Japanese samurai film. You know, blood squirting everywhere and it's very fake looking, but it's kind of, you know, it's it's the typical, you know, it's 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 the look that they had. Um, you know, and that's that's the look that uh in Kill Bill is the same thing, you know, and that was totally borrowed from that. Sure. Homage to that. Yep. Actually, not borrowed, but homage. Um, but throughout all of this, you hear this Mahler type of sound, and it's just unreal. So let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of it. They were seeing people killed. The warlord is in a state of shock as he's seeing his castle burning. And the use of color is just gorgeous. Than the contrabassoon and the bases. That's Mahler, man. Oh, yeah. Mahler 9 right there. Yeah. Yeah. We can stop it there. It's just... 
You know, it just sounds like for all the scores we've heard, this one has a a depth and a quality to it that is really, I don't know, I, I sort of feel like it's easy to hear. I mean, it can't just be the recording. It just yeah. sounds better. <laughs> you know what <laughs> well, I'm saying? I mean, look, I mean, let's let's be real here. You know, the composers that we've talked about, they're all great in their own right and great at what they do. Yeah. Right. I mean, they know how to score films. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they know how to uh, get to the heart of what the the writers and the director is is after. And, you know, they, they know, you know, in, in case of like Morricone and Williams, you know, they, they know how to paint a picture. They know how to make us feel a certain way. But, you know, like, like I, I said at the beginning of, of, you know, talking about Ron, Takamitsu is a first class composer. Yeah. Yeah. Like history book, you know, I yeah, mean, I mean, outside of film music. Right. right. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, and Williams, I think, is, you know, he's he's in that ballpark, right? You know, he, he just writes great music. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and very iconic music, you know. Um, but, but, you know, Takamitsu is a different cat. Yeah. No, I, I can't, can't disagree, man. You know, like I said, you know, five of all time, Takamiso's in, in that. Hopefully we'll have a top five composer of all time. <laughs> oh yeah, conversation because I will return to Takamisu. <laughs> uh, it would be tough to argue against it. Yeah. yeah, wow, man. Okay, well, you know, you brought something um, very unexpected in a way to the mix here, which I absolutely love, um, and I must say that I didn't. Yeah, I feel ashamed <laughs> that I didn't I didn't think of um, going Takamisu there, um, but you know I so good. You don't have the Dishkadan in here. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go up from left field. One you're probably not expecting, um, and I'm also going outside of the Hollywood scope. And mm -hmm. I'm going to to France, and I'm going to Michel Legrand's film score to the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Cherbourg. Nice. This is a 1964. Um, you know, this was a film that I avoided uh, for a long time. I've I've just heard about how great the the film music was, but I was like, I don't know. Um, until I saw it, and it just captivated me. It is a truly romantic film score. Uh, but what really sets it apart is that it's a essentially an opera that was written for cinema. Um, hmm. And I'm not saying that this, you know, was an opera and then made into a film. You know, the intent was to write all of the the dialogue to be sung. And okay. You know, it's um, you know, it's a it's a tragic love story in the sense that you know there isn't a happy ending. Sorry to be a spoiler, but but the idea here is that you know we're we're hearing you know these themes come back. We're hearing sort of 
a dialogue between characters um, and sort of their profession of love and then at the very end. So I would just like to play you just a little bit of the film score just so you can get a, 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 a taste of it. Um, so the, the, um, the scene here is that um, the two main characters, one, um, they're professing their love for one another. Um, the, the female wants to get married and you know, the the male character um, breaks the news that he is going to Algiers um, to fight in the war and he'll be gone for two years. I'm so happy to be with you. So her mother forbades her to see him. get married in secret. He just got his draft notice. Avec ce qui se passe en Algérie en ce moment, je ne reviendrai pas d'ici longtemps. So the, we, we just change scenes, right? They're in a, a bar. But you get a feeling, and this film unfolds in this way, where the music just, I mean, it does have cadences so we see and hear the end of scenes so it's almost like a musical like that yeah. um but it's i mean the thing when you watch this film from beginning to end it's actually the the areas in between it's not the numbers it's sort of taking where in a musical you would hear the dialogue but they're singing everything right so i mean it just blows my mind every time i see it how long this must have taken to put together um, because of that. Um, so yeah, if you haven't checked out The Umbrellas, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's, it's lovely, it really is. Yeah. All right. Um, so for my next, my next curveball. <laughs> Great. Uh, I am going to uh, probably a controversial pick here, and I'm going to the year 2000, and it's uh, Gladiator. <laughs> oh, okay. So Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerard. 
uh, did the score. Hans Zimmer did a, a bulk of the score. Lisa Girardo did um, a number of cues and um, mm. wrote some really beautiful haunting music to go along with it. Um, so, you know, Hans Zimmer, he's one of those guys that um, he's inconsistent, I would say. Okay. Um, so he has like this sound, especially I would say earlier in his career. Um, and it's, you know, the big orchestra, it's, you know, banks of synthesizers. Um, and, you know, things like The Rock, Crimson Tide, you know, um, you know, I think Crimson Tide was first and then basically you know, things like the rock and stuff like that were basically derivative of, of, of that first one. And, and so he, I think among some people, he has the um, reputation of sometimes phoning it in, mm, Okay. you know, or, you know, or relying on the same kind of sound, right. You know, but I would say, and, and we do hear that, kind of big, you know, big orchestra, big synthesizer bank type of uh, sound. We do hear that in the, I'd say the two big battle cues. Um, the, the battle cue at the beginning of the film you know, against the barbarian horde and the, um, the big battle scene in the uh, Colosseum um, later in the film. Um, it's basically the same music mm -hmm. um, with a slight variation. Uh, and that's when you hear the kind of that, that typical Zimmer, you know, big sound. And, and, it's, and it's actually fun to listen to. Uh, he purposely uh, did an homage to Mars, you know, Holst. Yeah. In the, okay. in that, and that was like a, it was a purposeful thing because obviously, you know, we're talking about Rome and, and, you know, and stuff like that. So it was a purposeful homage. It wasn't like, oh, he's stealing from, you know, Mars, it's like, he's not stealing from Mars. He, it's, it's a, it's an obvious homage. Um, yeah. So, but what I like about this score is the varied voices and very various, varied tones that he and Gerard uh, set and, and the use of different instruments and voice, uh, voices, you know, they, so they use voice very well. That's Gerard basically. Uh, her her music, and we'll hear that in a second. And uh, she also writes for the uh, dukuk, uh, which is basically like an Armenian wind instrument. Oh, okay, and that's in one of the cues um, later in the film. That's her, that's her music. And so what you know, Zimmer as kind of the main cat does, I think, really well is he, he you know, uh, he blends you know the the different talents between his co-composer, these different voices and instruments. And he creates a really different varying uh, score that I think beautifully fits the film. Um, and uh, you get the sense right away that this is not a typical action film from the opening credits. And what we'll hear is uh, Lisa Gerard's music at the beginning that blends into Hans Zimmer's music 
uh, when we first see Russell Crowe. Uh, and so let's, let's check out this, uh, I think, fantastic opening. Right at that moment, that's where we see the title of the film, Gladiator. Get a little backstory here. This is the beginning of a Gladiator film. Yeah. There you go. Bold choice, actually. And then this will transition. We just see a hand caressing wheat as it's as he's walking. He's a farmer, Russell Crowe. we go to he's he was imagining himself there and now he's on the battlefield getting ready to go great acting here which is was uh face changes game time and now we pick it up to simmers yeah. Beautiful transition. And this is the kind of the Mars homage. The compound. Yeah, we can stop it here. This is. It just keeps building and building and building, and then we get into the big. Big set piece that is the typical kind of Zimmer thing, which is very exciting, fits the action great. Um, but I, I just, I love the way he, he and Lisa uh, Girard did that. You know, the just kind of easing us into this, and it's really, I think, a bold um, way to open an action movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's thought provoking and. It's, um, yeah, Ridley Scott, who, mm -hmm. you know, I think isn't one to necessarily just buy into, you know, what the Hollywood would tell him to do, what the right, you know what I mean? He has a vision and that's great, mm -hmm. man. You know? Yeah, and I, I think it it uh, foreshadows, you know, what our main character is going to go through. Right. Uh, by by the way it opens. And then this other cue I want to, have us listen to, I think really highlights um, Zimmer's ability as a composer. And, you know, this is the scene where Commodus um, finds out that he is not going to uh, be the, uh, the next Caesar, according to his father, who you know, is, he's saying that he's going to abdicate and, 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 Maximus, the gladiator, um, 
is going to basically uh, oversee Rome until a new Caesar is ready. Mm. And, um, you know, Commodus just finds out that he's not going to, not going to be Caesar. And so, you know, you see him, you know, kind of, you know, complaining basically, you know, saying that he would have done anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and then he um, makes the in the moment decision to take matters into his own hands and kill his father. They're alone in a tent together. So there's no one there to protect Caesar. He kills his father, says that he died accidentally or whatever, died naturally. And now he become, he will become the next Caesar. Mm. But the music is um, unbelievable here. It really captures the pathos, the tension, in the emotional weight of the moment. So let's check out what Zimmer does here. Commodus. Your false as a son is my failure as a father. Tritone action. Yeah, I mean, so much emotion in in those in those strings, um, it, it just really adds so much weight to the to the scene. I love it. And again, it's, you know, like the, the Takamisu, right? It's uber romantic, Wagnerian, right? Um, definitely tragic um, and a, a, uh, a loss of power, right? Very mm. interesting to hear the Takamisu and that cue, right, mm -hmm. um, side by side, because they're, um, you know, they're similar in the sense of the strings and the use of the, of that sort of uh, descending bass line and tritones and uh, yeah, yeah, that romantic sound, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a very listenable score. Like that's one I have a CD of, and I'll and I'll just I'll just play it. You know, it's really good. Uh, good to listen to as a as just music but um but the score uh, itself the way it's uh, it complements the film i think he, he and lisa did a, a great job yeah right on so i'm gonna go i'm not gonna spend too much time on this one but i think um this one um needs to be on the list uh 1974 again the 70s <laughs> rears its head <laughs> Um, and I'm going to Chinatown with uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Um, yeah. 
you know, the one thing I think is missing from our our list is a film noir um, style. And, you know, I could have gone back, I think, and, and maybe, you know, looked at some of the the other noir films. Um, but this one I, I really like just because it's it's a more modern fusion of that older style um, in in Goldsmith just nails it. Um, so I'm just going to play um, a little bit from the from the opening, um, just so you can get a sense of of the sound and the collection of instruments and the and the language. So here we have a uh, Giddis who um, is a private eye played by Jack Nicholson is uh, trailing a car. like Planet of the Apes, right? Mm. Very inventive, extended techniques. Right, it's full of mystery, right? Yeah. It's different than the other parts of the film that rely more on the kind of typical jazz. You know, right. Or... Right, so it's, it's the use of those extended techniques that really intrigues me and then sort of that lone trumpet theme. It's I mean, definitely it, noir. Yeah, yeah and it's, it screams, you know, private eye. Mm -hmm. And like with the other scores, right, uh, I'll, I'll stop it there, is that, you know, it just creates a, a strong atmosphere that is sort of be be between the world of the film noir sort of jazz aspect and then sort of the extended technique, you know, scraping on the inside of the piano you know, sustained, uh, you know, strings without vibrato and harmonics, just really inventive. Um, yeah, so hmm. that's my last uh, film score. I just could yeah. not include it, this yeah. one. Yeah, it's a it's a great score. And, you know, Goldsmith, obviously, he's one of the big dogs. And yep. that was, uh, yeah, a, a fantastic period piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So my last one 
Uh, I'm jumping all the way to 2004 now. Nice. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm bringing in, you know, one of the kind of the big dogs now, which who is, um, you know, this was like his first, first, uh, I think, feature film, actually, mm. if, I, if I remember correctly. And this is Michael Giacchino. Nice. And, yes. And this is The, the Incredibles. <laughs> and uh, so originally, um, Pixar and, and uh, you know, the director, they, they wanted to get um, John Barry to do, to do the film. Mm. And because they wanted that kind of 1960s, um, you know, hero, Bond, James Bond type of sound. Sure. And, you know, uh, you know, the Henry Mancini, uh, you know, uh, John Barry 60s thing. And uh, he had to pull out of the of the project. And so they brought in Michael Giacchino. And basically what Giacchino did was he channeled John Barry from the <laughs> right. 1960s. He channeled Henry Mancini. Yeah, yeah. In the Pink Panther films. Yeah. And he created this uh, fun retro uh, style score that matched kind of the retro feel and of the of the story. Right. Um, and <clears throat> it really is. Um, a great listen. Um, the music is fun. It's kinetic. Um, it captures the action and the lightheartedness and the play, um, yeah. you know, so well. And uh, I think this one, it, it really catapulted uh, Jay Kino, you know, because before that, you know, he had, he had done uh, TV like Alias yeah um he you know did medal of honor you know the video game series okay and you know great created great stuff there but after this he's kind of become like one of the big action piece guys you know um so you know he's done star trek you know so like the new star treks yep you know, he did you know the 2009 star trek and uh, and the sequels and he did up, which he was did amazing. Up, which is another I mean, Pixar. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did Coco. Yeah, I, and mm. and then for Marvel, he did Doctor Strange, mm -hmm. which is an excellent uh, film score, actually. And he did the two, the first two Spider-Man films with, um, you know, in the Marvel, uh, in the MCU. So he he really, you know, this was like the first feature film, but. He's now become one of the big, big cats, you know? Yeah, right on. Um, so I just want to play the opening credits because, um, you know, just like the Bond films of the 60s with John Barry and just like the Henry Mancini Pink Panther films, the credits tell everything. They tell you what's going to happen and they set the tone. And and so he does it, you know, brilliantly with... Uh, the opening credits. This is The Incredibles. Mm -hmm. 
this is right out of the 60s, you know? Right. The animation. Oh, yeah, and it, it's funny. We saved our last two for uh, sort of the loner jazz and then the big band jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. And um, you know, we uh, at the at the field band, you know, we did um, we have a great suite of music that we we did a couple of years ago. Um, it's it's an incredible arrangement that our, our guys did, and uh, man, it's so fun to listen to and, and fun to conduct to. Just be on the stage and just have that music, uh, you know, hit you. It's it's great. Right on. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. You know, we needed some more modern people on here because, you know, a lot of these film scores will need to resonate, uh, resonate for a while. Right. See, yeah. see what sticks. So great, yep. man, that that wraps up our um, our list here. And um, yeah, just yeah. to recapture here, what I had was um, the mission, Ennio Morricone and Dirty Harry, Lalo Schifrin. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Elma Bernstein, uh, Chinatown, uh, oh, I'm sorry, The Umbrellas of Schorberg um, by Michelle Legrand, and Chinatown, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, and um, yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird, I think was in the middle. Did I already say that? Uh, Elma mm. Bernstein. <laughs> yeah. And I had uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Maestro John Williams, The Godfather, you know, Rota, uh, Ron, uh, Takamitsu, uh, Gladiator, uh, Zimmer, and uh, Lisa Gerard, and then The Incredibles, Michael Giacchino. Nice. Yeah, yeah so so before we end here, um, I'm going to bring up the AFI Top 100, and let's see what their, their top 10 is. Um, Oh, we didn't do too bad, actually. Uh, so number one was Star Wars. This is the 2005 list here. Uh, Star Wars, the original, 1977. Um, then Gone with the Wind, Max Steiner, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. at least had King Kong, um, Lawrence of Arabia, um, Marie Jarre. Uh Number four, Psycho, Bernard Herrmann. We got that. Godfather, Nino Rota, Jaws. We have that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lara, 1944. That is hmm. a monothematic score, David Raskin. Um, yeah, that's a interesting choice. Uh, the Magnificent <laughs> Seven, uh, Elmer Bernstein, um, Chinatown, Jerry Goldsmith at number nine, and hmm. High Noon, Dimitri Tiomkin. Tiomkin, yeah. Yeah, that has one of the great ending cues of all time with a with clock. And mm. the uh, the build up to noon. Um, yeah, so so they went with two kind of typical American westerns as opposed to Marconi with yeah. the Italian spaghetti western. Yeah, you got yeah. it. And yeah, it's interesting in this top. Yeah, in this top one, there there is no um, Morricone on the list in the top twenty five. 
Oh no, there is. Have, yeah, the mission. One. Okay, twenty three. Great. Yeah. All right. I was gonna, you know, be sad. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to write my senator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this was fun, man. Um, yeah. So, so we'll digest this. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, so we'll see you next time. And, uh, you know, all, all I can say is, dude, exactly. I like your, your list, yeah. man. Awesome. Exactly, dude. D dude. Yes. <laughs> okay, brother. Next time. All right. Thanks for listening to Dude Exactly. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review. And if you didn't enjoy the podcast, please don't. To catch more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also reach us at dudeexactly at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to Dude Exactly.